My voice is a little weak, so I'm going to need your help preaching this message. Can you help me, church? Okay. Praise God. Well, how many excited it's spring? Yeah? It's uh, in the Pacific Northwest, it's like you are almost near the end of the dreary rain. But then as I say that, a new storm's coming in this week, so just, get, we just wait for it. But um, t- weather tends to tease us around here, doesn't it? Uh, but I'm excited. Spring means new life, new blossoming. Things are coming to life. Amen. And as I was uh, praying and seeking the Lord for this message this morning, I just felt like a few words dropped in my spirit. It was new season and new things, new season and new things. And I, and I, I was just pondering, praying over you, church, and thinking about how many of you in this place, so many are stepping into new things this, in this time that we're in. We got a new, I got a new niece, praise God, excited about that. We have, we have um, a new marriage that's coming up here, come on, this precious couple over here, in the month of April, we're excited for you guys, and uh, we've got just new things God's doing in each and everybody's life, and uh, new, new things God's taking people, I heard new jobs, I mean, how many, there's been some new jobs in the house. And uh, new opportunities, and partially happy, partially sad for Kyle and Natasha. They're moving to Minnesota, so they have a new thing, but we trust God is doing some awesome things in their life and opening up new doors for them, too. Uh, but there's just new, new things happening in our lives, and I just wanted to speak to that because God is always about doing some new things in us, and he's a God of the new, and um, I was thinking back to how we can be, well, I was just thinking about how often we are resistant to new things, right? We are creatures of habit. We don't like change. We like, if we change up the seating arrangement in here, it's fun to watch your faces when you come in when the seats have been changed, which we may have to do here soon. But, um, you know, we like to play, sit in the same place. We like to have our coffee at the same time. We like things to just be the same. No surprises. We like business as usual, right, for many of us. Anyone resistant to change on occasion in your life? Because there's some things that come, and you're like, I'm not sure I want that to change. But when God's trying to bring new things, it's a good thing. But that doesn't mean we don't have to work through some things. I, I remember when we got married, and I... I um. My wife and I, and she, we, were, we had a long-distance relationship. She was in the Bay Area, and I was up here. And uh, when we got married, we, had a, we, we got a celebration in two places, so that was pretty cool. Double the gifts. It was awesome. Um, but uh, she was coming up here after being married, and she's got a new husband. That's traumatic enough. She's got a new house. She's got a new place to live, a new job. She's coming and pastoring in a new church and uh, leaving everything she knew behind, her friends, her family, her church she'd been in for 20-some-odd years. I mean, it, you know, it was a lot of change for her. And I, I think as a husband, I didn't appreciate how, tr- how big of a deal this was always. But change can be traumatic. I think they say that there's five different types of changes. If they all happen to you at once, you might die. But... Um, she was close. She was, she was on the edge. And then, and then when January hit that year in 2006, it was 33 straight days of rain, and she had come from Marin County. Come on. She's like, this, is this how it is? What, what did I get myself into? 
I'm not sure. So to minister to my wife, I said, we're going to have two trips to your family in Nevada. It'll help me too. Um, every year. But now she's used to it. She, I think she kind of likes the rain now. I mean, it's, things have changed. So, But uh, still adjusting. Uh, but new things can be daunting when God's bringing you into something new. And, but they're also exciting. And so if we're open... If we're open to what God wants to do, uh, then I think we can step into some exciting things God has for us. Amen, church? And I believe it is for us as a season, the season we're in. So much change. And it's happening in the midst of a world that's in chaos and war and so many things to be concerned with. If you get your mind on the wrong thing, you can get off kilter. But our mind is to be set on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Amen? And let's just open here as we, I want to pray as we open the word. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're already here. You're working in us. You're working in us to will and to do according to your pleasure. You're already doing some new things in us. And Lord, we just want to acknowledge that this morning. We want to acknowledge that you are the giver of life. And God, that your new life is alive in us, that Zoe life. Lord, we thank you for that resurrection life that is inside of us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us and give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you this morning. That you would, Lord, open up the eyes of our heart to see what is the hope of your calling. God, I pray just a fresh revelation in the hearts of each person here this morning to see what you have in store. God, it's good things. You have a hope and a future. And this morning we rejoice in that. And everybody said, amen. And in Isaiah 43, verse 18, it says, do not call to mind the former things or consider things of the past. Behold, I am doing something new. Now it will spring up. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. And I know sometimes you look at that, well, God's doing something new. Can you be more specific, Pastor? Well, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to do that in each one of your lives. Amen? And I know, I've heard prophecies. That it's always, he's doing a new thing. Okay, what? What is it? But I believe he opens our eyes and he gives us revelation when we ask. Amen? And I know this, the context here, this is spoken to the people of Judah, and they are in exile in Babylon and being punished for their sin and idolatry. They've been evicted from the promised land and now find themselves captivity in a foreign land, right? So this, this word, they're like, new? We're ready for something new, right? And it says, the animals of the field, in verse 20, will, will glorify me, the jackals, and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. How many like that this morning? To give drink to my chosen people. Man, he has a drink for us in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the desert. God comes and fills us. Amen? The people whom I've formed for myself will declare my praise. Praise God. And so the Lord is just Bent through the prophet Isaiah has been speaking to the children of Israel, the children of Judah, about their sin, their idolatry, and their hardness of heart. That even after being punished, even after being going into exile, they still were not responding. There was a hardness. There was a um, there was a, 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 
a resistance to what God wanted to do. And so he's, he's, he's lamenting over that. He's, he's saying, I'm upset about this. But then he turns and goes to these words of consolation and comfort. How many are thankful God brings comfort? He speaks words of consolation even in the midst of this judgment. Because even his judgments are redemptive. Did you hear that? Even his judgments are redemptive. And so he's bringing about a redemptive purpose in this. And I believe it's so interesting that he's, he changes tone so, so dramatically. Because what it shows us is this. He's not giving his favor and blessing to them on account of anything they've done. In fact, they are, he's saying, you're not worthy of this, but I've chosen you. And I've, I've called you my own. And it's because of my grace, because of my favor, because of my blessing on account of not, it's unmerited favor. It's not anything you've earned. And so we start with that place that his consolation, his gift, his favor to us is not because we've done everything right. And in fact, we've missed the mark. And so have the children of Israel. But God, he says, we aren't deserving, but God still brings his love and grace and mercy to us. And he's expressing to them his intent to do something new. He says, I'm going to do something new. While this passage is pointing to future realities of the millennial reign of Christ on earth, there's still some spiritual truths for us this morning that I believe are applicable to our lives. And here's the reality. God is always up to doing some good work in us. Do you believe that? Amen? And we don't always see it. Even though I don't see it, you're working. Even though I don't feel it, you're working. God's working in me even though I'm not aware of what he's doing. How many, how many can relate to this? You've had seasons in your life where you know God's working in you, but you could not tell somebody else what is happening, Right? He's doing something, and it's good, and there's new things happening inside of me, but I can't put words to it. I just know God's doing some good things. He's transforming me. He's changing me. He's conforming me to his image. I had a little bit of a nightmare last Friday night going into Saturday. Um, I was finishing up my work for the week, and I like to close the laptop lid so I'm not tempted to go back in there and work some more. How many know? That's good. And it's my Sabbath. And as I was shutting the lid of that laptop, this little update thing came up, this little pop-up. And it's when my, our IT department's sending an operating system update. And I didn't think anything of it. I was in a hurry, so I just shut the lid and I left. And uh, I go, you know, something hit me as I had gone out that maybe I should have paid attention to that. And the next morning, I came into my office, and the machine was just going berserk, and uh, it was not working, and that, that operating system upgrade had got corrupted. And so I call, naturally, I called the help desk, said, help! Help me, I need to work. I can't survive without this laptop. Otherwise, I, I won't earn a living. I need this thing to work. And so they're like, well... Uh, sir, your whole operating system's corrupt. You're going to have to take that in for a re-image. And so I just looked at this just like an annoying thing, a little foxes in the vineyard type of thing in your life. But then the Lord's like, no, no, no. Look at it this way. There's a re-image 
that I want to do in the lives of my people. A re-image. And he says, I'm conforming you to my image. That's, that's, that's his destiny and purpose for us. Amen? And so there are seasons in our life of frustration and confusion when we don't always understand what he is doing and why. Can anyone relate? You've been there. I don't know what is happening. There's a lot of things I can't explain going on. They're not all good right now, but God is working because I know Romans 8.28 says this, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's working all things together. He may not be the author of all of it, but he is doing some things in you in the midst of it. And in those seasons of confusion, we just need to press in in prayer just a bit more and say, God, I need to understand what you're doing in this time. And I believe he'll show us. It may not be immediate. How many know you, there's times when you look back at seasons in your life and you go, I didn't understand what was happening in the season, but I'm now seeing the good fruit that God brought out of that season because you sow in one season and you see the fruit in another. So there's a time in your life where there's sowing and there's a time of reaping. And that reaping sometimes takes place in another time. You may not understand what's happening now, but God's working, and you may see the results later on the outside. How many are thankful that you'll see the results? You just hold on in faith, and you keep believing through the har- for the harvest of righteousness. <clears throat> There's times when I was pursuing the call of God in my life, and I felt like, man, I, I just don't see things happening, and and. You know, in those times, you know, if God's called you, God's appointed you, he's appointed and called each and every one of us. It may be different things that he's called us to in terms of how we function, but we're called, we're all called to a high calling. And in pursuing that calling, God is working in us and he's working in our lives and circumstances to position us and to mold us and shape us. How many know he's the potter? We are the clay and he molds us and he shapes us how he wants not how I want. I've got to submit to the hand of the potter. And so those seasons, I remember, and then when the open doors came, the new thing came, hear this church, I realized that time I had been in a quandary had been a time of preparation and I didn't always take full advantage of it the way I should have. So don't miss the season and the time of preparation that God has for you, no matter how he's leading you. Are you still with me? All right. So five things I want to give you this morning on how we, I don't know if we have those slides or they're not coming up or, oh, you've got it. Great. Fantastic. Um, How we embrace the new things that God is trying to do and bring in our lives. Amen. Number one is this. We got to overcome fear. And now listen, as I was praying this week, I said, I, I just sensed, and the word of the Lord came through that prophetic word from Karen this morning to that effect that there was people who just felt like giving up. There's people who are, were so overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. I'm so glad we sang that verse over and over again. I speak the name of Jesus over fear and anxiety because that's a thing that's plaguing our society right now. It's plaguing people's lives. Their futures are in doubt. They're, they're, asking, they're asking, where do I turn? And it's a great time of opportunity for the gospel. Because their answers, they don't have answers, and they need the answer. So in these times of 
chaos and disruption and everything we've been in, understand there's opportunity that God wants to do in the midst of this. I've heard, I've heard people with not so good intentions say, don't waste a crisis. But God can do great things in the midst of our crisis. Amen. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste what you're going through. Let God work in the midst of it. And he'll bring forth a beautiful, beautiful fruit in your life. We must overcome feel, fear. You know why? Because when we're presented with something new, it's always, God's always causing us to step out to the edge. Step, he's calling us out of our comfort zone. Why? He, because he gave us the comforter to help, help us. Did you catch that? So, so it, you're going to live an uncomfortable life as a Christian, but he gave you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to help you through it. So when you step out in obedience in the new things God's calling you into, he's, the Holy Spirit's there to comfort you and give you the grace to do it. Because if it's from God, there's a grace and a peace multiplied in it. If it's from him, there's a grace and a peace. There's a knowing that this is what the Lord has for me in this season, in this time I'm in. But your questions hit us. You know, I've heard different acronyms for the word fear, but false expectations appearing real. I like that one because fear just kind of, it's a spirit. It raises up on you and begins to tell you things that aren't true and make you afraid of stepping out on what God has for you. And so we, we, we question, what if this fails? What if this turns out to be a disaster? What are, you know, whether it's a new job, maybe it's, just, maybe it's a marriage, a move of some sort, or stepping into ministry or calling. Fear is always a factor. But he says this in Isaiah 43, 1, he says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who is your creator, Jacob, Reminder, the creator of the heavens and the earth who spoke the word and everything came into being. Come on. That God, the God of the impossible, the God of miracles, and he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you or mine. That's to somebody this morning. Don't fear and he backs up the command. He says, don't fear. He says, it's a command. Don't fear. But it's backed up by a promises. I'm with you. I'm for you. Come on. And the people of Israel who are hearing this, based on outward circumstances, the people of Judah had reasons to fear the Babylonian army and exile and their circumstances. We've got, we have no shortage of reasons to be afraid today. If you want to meditate on those things, man, you can go into an ultimate and have an anxiety attack. I mean, we're on the verge of World War III. We got all so many things that could be happening in these next months that are just very discomforting if you think about it. But God, in the midst of it, says, Don't fear. And He speaks to that fear. I want to talk to you this morning about some ways that. We overcome fear, and it's through what God speaks to us. And the, one, number, the first one is that the Lord reminds us of who we belong to. How many know he's, he says he is our creator? He says to Jacob, I am your creator. I am your creator. And later on in verse 7, it says, Everyone who's called by my name and whom I have created for my what? Glory. For my glory. 
whom I have formed, even whom I have made. You see, he's created us. He is our creator. We are obligated to him on those terms. We belong to him by virtue of him being our creator. Men don't understand that. They've taken ownership or they think they have of their lives and said, I'll be Lord of my life. But God says, I'm the creator. I'm the, oh, Jacob, I'm your creator. Remember, we can trust this, that whatever new thing he's trying to do in us as a church or in our personal lives, it is towards this end that we are living for his glory. You were created for his glory. Get hold of that this morning. For his glory. And when we are living for his glory, when that is our ultimate purpose in life, no matter what I'm doing, I can be doing the most menial task and living for his glory. It has nothing to do with my function, but it has everything to do with my heart, attitude, and how I, how I live. I can be doing dishes. I can be doing laundry. I can be doing, come on, whatever it is for his glory. If I live with that attitude, everything I put my hands to for his glory, then when we are living in that place, we're living in our ultimate purpose for which he created you, and you are living in the ultimate satisfaction, happiness, and fulfillment because that's who God created you to be. All right, still here? Ephesians 2.10 puts this much better than I did. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Praise God. That word workmanship is poema. God is, you're literally God's piece of art. He wants to do something beautiful and artistic and, and expressive through your life. Created in Christ Jesus. Get hold of that this morning. For good works, God's appointed them, and I want to walk in them, and that means I'm going to embrace some new things to get there. You got quiet, all right? Not only did he create us, which gives him rightful ownership, but it says, I have also redeemed you. I want you to see this. That is to ransom by a price paid in lieu of the captives. Ransom by a price paid in lieu of the captives of the captives. God was telling Egypt or telling Israel that Egypt had been their ransom when he redeemed them from slavery. He brought them out with signs and wonders and in destroying the Egyptian army and their chariots. And we look at Psalm 78 and it says this, and it says, and again and again they tempted God and pained the Holy One of Israel. You God, God feels pain. He can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we can tempt God in the way we act and live. Are you with me? And he says, well, how did they do it? Verse 42 says, they did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the adversary. Don't forget. These are things we don't forget how he has redeemed us from the adversary. I think that deserves a shout this morning. Come on. When he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the field of Zoan, it says in verse 43, we are the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed say so. That's something to talk about, church. 
That's something to talk about. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And then in uh, Galatians 3.13, Paul puts it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Thank you, Jesus. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree is what the word of God says. He took that curse upon him. He took that, those stripes, he took the beating, he took the piercing, he took the crushing for our iniquities, all that so that we could be redeemed. That price, we were, we've been bought twice, come on. We belong to him to begin with. We were stolen by our own will. And then he bought us back. Come on, that's good. That's good. He's redeemed us. We were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from our futile lives. I can say that. My life before Jesus was futile. Can anybody say amen this morning? I did a lot of stuff and got nowhere. But with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And he says, not only am I your creator, not only have I redeemed you, I've formed you and I've redeemed you, but he also says, I've called you by name and you are mine. Which movie is it? The ice, which one's the one where they're like, mine, 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 mine. Nemo, it's God, that's God over you. Mine, 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 mine. You belong to me. He makes it both personal and certain. Personal and certain. You need to hear that this morning. I belong to him. You belong to him. You're his. Therefore, if he's asking you to step into something new and it's scary and it's out there and because he's with, he's, it's, you're good because you belong to him. I told this to young people a couple Wednesdays ago that, you know, faith is like a muscle. I asked him, I said, if you sat on your couch for two years and ate donuts with the remote, come on. Maybe your thumb has still got some use. Then the coach calls you and says, hey, I want you to run some lines. Come on. (laughs) That is not going to be fun. Faith has to be exercised or otherwise we get atrophy. We've got to be reaching. We've got to be pressing. We've got to be pushing into what God has for us. So he says, you can overcome fear because you belong to me. You're good. I'm I've got you. And then he says, you can overcome fear because he's with you. He's with you. Now, we hear this over and over again in church, but do we believe it? Because when we really believe he's with us, it changes how you walk. It changes how you talk. It changes how you live. It changes everything. And so he says, when you pass through, verse 2 and 3 in chapter 43, the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Come on. Fireproof. 
For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. So the waters speak of overwhelming trials we face in life. And notice that Isaiah didn't say if you go through the waters. He said when you go through the waters. And I don't know where, it, I don't remember where it says this, but it, you know, I think it was James who talks about uh, don't be surprised when you're overtaken by trials. Right? James, thank you. James, yes. And so are we surprised that we're taken, overtaken by trials? We shouldn't be because Jesus says it this way. He says, these things I have spoken to you. All right? So that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation and take courage. I have over. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Take courage because I've overcome. That's, don't be afraid because I've overcome. The overcomer lives in you. And often there are waters between us and the thing God is bringing about. Think about it. Is God bringing Israel out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea. Man, they stood there. They were trapped Enemy at their back, water's in front of them. It looked bad. God says, and Moses is like, what do we do? He's like, why are you crying out to me? I gave you a staff. Do what I said. Come on. But between us and the promise that God has for us, there's waters. And he says, but I'll be with you through the waters. And I'm going to drown the Egyptians. I'm going to take care of the enemies. Come on. The waters of the Jordan into the promised land. The fires speak of persecutions that come against us as Christians, of which the Lord says, you won't be scorched. It won't touch you. Come on. We are reminded of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The order went out in Babylon saying you had to worship those gods and, and bow to the image. And they said, we're not going to do that. Come on, we won't bow to the gods of this world. Man, you can throw us in the furnace, but God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we still aren't going to bow. That's a determination. Like some of us would have been like, God, I need to know that you're going to spare me in that. But he says, even if he doesn't rescue me, we won't bow. There was a fourth man in the fire, and they were not scorched. Oh, come on. Even though those guards were burned, they weren't scorched. God's faithful to us in the midst of the fires. We need to be reminded of these precious promise todays because persecutions against Christians are increasing. They're not decreasing. If you desire to live godly, you will be persecuted. Jesus put it this way. He says, and you will be hated in Matthew 10, 22, by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Are we going to endure, church? Moving on in Isaiah 43, 4 through 6. All right. I'm moving. We'll get you out of here some point. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west, and I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. What's God's intention? He's bringing them back home. He said it through three or four prophets. I'm bringing them back. 
And here's, the, here's what I feel like. You say, what is the new thing? I believe there's, there are some exiles in our families. Come on. In our families, friends who've walked away from the purpose of God and they're in a place of exile, but God's bringing them back. He's making rivers in the wilderness. He's making a pathway in the wilderness. He's making a way for them to come back. That's what he wants to do. So number two, we must remember God's love for us. How many know perfect love, Pastor John preached on it so well last week, perfect love casts out all fear. And the context of that is within the fellowship of God's people. See, this is all in the we. This is all in the we. And when you're in the we, come on, and it's not about me, and you have he, oh, I don't know where I'm going with this, all right. Right? He's with you. You're good. His love is for you. He tells his people, you are precious in my sight. You are honored. I love you. Notice the extent of his love that he will give men in our place. Speaking of the redemptive work, he gave his own son in our place. He gave his own son for us. He who knew no sin would become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Speaking of his people, Israel, the Lord said through Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Get hold of that. I've loved you with an everlasting love, an eternal, it's not changing. Hosea spoke of Israel this way. He said, when Israel was yet a child, then I called him my son and led him out of Egypt. This tender love that God has for us. You are precious in my sight. God sees you, and he says you are precious to him. You are precious to him. That means you are of great, tremendous value to the Lord. The psalmist put it this way. He goes, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you would think of him? He's mindful of you. He finds you precious. And see, some of you look in the mirror, and you don't get hold of that. You're like, oh, what? how do you see me that way, God? You can't receive that because there's a in thing inside that God wants to change. That's a new thing for you. How you see you. You need to see you as he sees you. Get hold of that. Speaking of his people, Israel, the Lord said through, okay, when you consider God's loving kindnesses for you, you can be bold and courageous to step into whatever new thing he is leading you into. Know that he's, we got to overcome fear. we got to remember his love for us. And then, then it says, you are my witnesses, in verse 10, declares the Lord, speaking to Israel, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. All those other gods are nothing. He is the God of the universe, the God of the earth. He's creator, almighty God. And he says, you are my witnesses. Number three, we must remember we are called to be his witnesses. Now here, what, how's that relevant to the new thing? Because the new thing that God wants to do in your life involves his, his glory coming forth from your life for the sake of others. 
a witness of his goodness, a witness to his faithfulness, a witness to his character through your life. We're called to be his witnesses. And he said, what a privilege. He says, you're called that you may know and believe me and understand. God wants you to know him. This is is eternal life, to know him. But 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim what? The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How are we doing at that, church? We're going to proclaim his excellencies. And so what is the new thing that God's bringing in you that's going to enable you, empower you, release you to proclaim his excellencies in and through your life? Here he was bringing the the people of Judah out of Babylonian captivity. We've been brought out of captivity. It's time to proclaim his excellencies. Come on. And number four, he says, do not call to mind the former things or consider the past. Now you said, pastor, we've just been thinking about all the good things God's doing. In fact, before this, he recites how he delivered them from the Egyptians, how he brought them into the promised land. So there's some things we don't want to forget. We don't forget the works of God. We sang it, great are your works, Lord. Great are your works. But there are some things we do need to forget. You need some selective memory loss. Selective, you met some people like that, right? If you're a parent, you know this. Hey, had you cleaned your room? No, I don't remember you. What? And they look at you like deer in the headlights. Did you clean your room? You remember when I asked you yesterday? No, never. But what they do remember is that you promised to take them and get this thing at the store three weeks ago. Come on. They haven't forgotten that. Do you remember that you're supposed to take out the garbage? We do that every week. But we need some selective memory loss. There are some former things we have to forget. And what he's saying is this new thing that I want to do in your life is greater than any other thing that you've seen before. Your latter shall be greater than your former. Your former, did I say it? Yes. All right. Doing math. We're often tempted to think of the glory days in the past when God did something amazing in our lives, and that's great. Come on, I've had, we've had some glory days. We've had some good things that God's done in our lives. Man, we've had some amazing things that God's done in this church, and we're not going to forget his goodness and faithfulness and what he's done. But as we look to the new season, we can't expect the same kind of thing. How do I know that? I mean, we got a prophetic word from Steve Sampson. He said, what I'm doing in this next season is not unlike anything I've ever done before. You, uh, you won't recognize it. And he asked the question, will you be aware of it? I'm, it's springing up now. Will you be aware of it? Will you see it? Will you perceive what I'm trying to do? And if you're looking for something based on your past experience, you might miss it. I'm not saying those weren't good things, but the new season calls for new things that God wants to do. And so, keep the highlight reel of what God's done in your life. Don't let that go. 
That's good. It's not to diminish what God's done in past seasons, but recognize we, we're in a different world. We've got different challenges. We've got different things we're facing. Man, I, I was in, my wife and I were in youth ministry back in, in uh, up until 2010, and we're back in it now, and we're like, man, it looks different now. Why? Because young people are facing things we didn't, they didn't face even 12 years ago. And so, God, our, question, our prayer to the Lord is, what's the new thing you want to do in the lives of these young people and the new thing you want to do in and through our ministry to, to be in tune with what you're doing now? Old ways might not work in this new generation because they've got different challenges. So, Lord, show us. Are you still with me? Now it will spring up. Before that, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on to the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Some of you guys, you know, there's a reason the rearview mirror is much smaller than your windshield. Did you hear that? You got to look at it occasionally, and you're going to glance at it and thank God for that, but I want to see what you're doing now. Okay? Otherwise, you might go off the road. Number five, we must anticipate the new things God is doing. Now it will spring up. Will you be aware of it, he says, because it's possible to miss it. It's possible to miss it if we're not aware, if we're not looking for it. You see, the life of a believer is to be a life of expectancy. God, what are you up to next? I want to see it. I want to be a part of it. I don't want to miss out. I want to be in the center of your will in this season I'm in. You see, if you have a show me attitude or a believe it when I see it mentality, you'll miss it. And we also can get stuck in the routine of Christianity we've been in. I hope this morning you didn't come here just expecting another same service over and over again. We don't want to become routine. We, don't want, to become, we want to be moving with the Spirit of God. And I believe God responds. You heard Christy exhort. God responds to our faith. So faith is expectancy going, God, I want to grab hold of. I want to, I want to put a demand on what you are wanting to do. Your spirit, your anointing. All right. thought you were excited about that. All right. <clears throat> Live in that state of expectancy, looking forward to what God is doing. What does it look like? Anticipating. Looking for opportunities in my day-to-day life. God, are you moving here? Stranger comes up to you, starts talking to you. God, are you moving here? What do you want to do right now? You're in that line in the store and that cash register lady looks like she is down and out. I got a word for you, a word in season, a word of encouragement. God sees you and you're precious to him. He loves you with an everlasting love. He gave his own son for you. Hmm. We need to live in a perpetual state of expectancy because our God is a God of the new. 
He's the God of the new covenant. He's the God of the new heart of flesh. Come on. He's the God who brings newness of life. He's the God who says you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Come on. He's the God who says he gives you a new song of praise. He's given you a new song. He gives you a new commandment to love one another. <laughs> Do I, we can just go on. In Revelation, he says, behold, I am making all things new. There's a new heaven and earth, a new Jerusalem. He is the God of the new. Will you stand with me, church, this morning as we close? Hallelujah. I just want to speak to what I felt the Lord press upon my heart, and that is people who are in a place of giving up, place of despair, place of discouragement, place of, like, I'm not understanding the season I'm in right now, and I've been just struggling with it. You would say this morning, the struggle's real because the circumstances in my life, I don't understand it. I don't know what God's doing, but I feel like the Lord is here this morning to encourage you to console you, to speak and say, you are mine, you belong to me. I have called you by name, I've redeemed you, I'm your creator. There is a hope, there is a future, all is not lost, come on, you still have breath in your lungs, then God can do something. God can do something. God can speak to you. God can encourage you this morning. The Lord can bring you up out of that miry clay onto that rock. He can bring you out of the darkness into his light, that place of hope and revelation, that your hearts would be quickened and alive this morning and saying, with a sense of expectancy, saying, God, I want to be a part of whatever you're doing. And here's what I sense. I was, we were in worship this morning. I heard this. I said, some, the Lord just put this on my heart. Some of the people who are the most resistant to change are at the center of what he wants to do. Yes. Some of you are like, oh, okay. <laughs> I know that's a word that's not easy to take if that's where you're at this morning. But you're at the center of what he wants to do. You said, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm comfortable on this, this, and God's just like on your heart this morning, just going, come on. Touching your heart this morning, going, come on, I have something for you. I need you. I need you in this season. How many know the Lord can't do anything apart from his church? He's working through his church. Watchman Nee gave this example. Look at heaven is like the well, and we're like the pipe. The greater that pipe is, the greater our capacity, the greater he can flow. Right? The greater he can flow through us. There's no limit in him. The limit's on this side. But this morning I feel the Holy Spirit taking the limits off. Taking the limits off. Would you just lift your hands in this place this morning? Now I don't know if you're in a place where you say, I'm ready, Lord, for what you want to do with me in this season.